Good morning and welcome to Braveheart Conversations. I am Jillian Aurora. This is my beautiful co-host Marie Wallace. Hi guys. Good morning. And today we're going to be talking about uh, co-parenting mm -hmm. with an abusive partner. And um, this I feel like is a very relevant topic because um, you know, in the work that we do, we, we work with a lot of women who have left um, relationships. So kind of post post leaving, there are some uh, some significant barriers, some struggles that we want to address. And um, you know, co-parenting can be a difficult um, difficult challenge because now, even if you've left this abusive person, you're still stuck with them on some degree um, for the remainder of the 18 years you have uh, with your children. So um, we want to address how do, how do you do that? And there aren't any easy answers and there aren't any you know right answers, correct ways to do things, but I do think we can have a few um, tips and guidelines and things that can be helpful in um, navigating that situation and I think you know we have some some good experience and wisdom to share um, you know as as a mediator um, I work through a lot of those co-parenting issues more on that uh, very um, objective you know how are we gonna put this into an agreement kind of a basis and then I think you know, Marie, you can share from more of an experiential basis as yeah. well um, how to navigate through co-parenting. So let's dive in. Um, Marie, what have been some of the keys for you as your children are now grown? So you've successfully navigated this throughout, <laughs> um, but what were some of the biggest challenges that came up for you when you did leave um, a toxic partner and then had to figure out how to parent with this person? Well, that's a big one to open up. Um, I think honoring the other person is always, I think first and for foremost, whomever you're partnering with is keeping whatever your past was out of partnering with them on the issues with the children is probably, for me, one of the things because it's it, it focuses on the now and what are we gonna do to be the best parents we can be for for the children and and part of that is um owning my decisions being the best parent i can be in that situation and so that my kids can see me as an example not as someone who is wishy-washy about a decision someone who um really thought through things and and in planning so back to my planning piece is just always planning situations how they're going to happen think through things we'll probably have to go through some things before because right now I'm not keyed up for that but mostly it's just being very honoring of each other and it's about the kids not about us or mm -hmm. our relationship it, it's really about what's best for them it would be where I would focus mm -hmm. so yeah you can so some of the challenges that I see come up especially in mediation are um I'll hear a lot of mothers say, well, what's best is for them to be with me 100% of the oh, time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, legally, that's generally not an option. Um, and there's, we have to figure out a way to, um, to still have equal time or partial time or however that looks with this other parent. And um, 
So there's there's two elements that I see as really important. One is the safety of yourself, sure. right? That's really, uh, it, it is very vital, very important. And then the safety of the children as well. Um, and they're very, they're two different um, categories because sometimes the um, abuser is really only targeting you. Not that they're creating a healthy situation for the children either because you can't be a healthy parent without being a healthy individual. Sure. You can't be a healthy partner without being a healthy individual. Everything stems from the health of our ourselves as an individual. Um, so all we can really have power over is myself. Yep. So as, as a mother, then we get to take responsibility for our own health and modeling healthy boundaries, healthy mm -hmm. communication, all of those pieces. But we have no guarantee that that partner is going to respond in the same way. That is why we left, right? Because you don't have control of the other person's behavior, which is harmful or abusive in some mm -hmm. way. So, um, you know, talking about the safety of yourself in the co-parenting relationship, some of the things that really clean that that relationship up and give you some safety um, are things like uh, coordinating drop-offs that aren't, uh, you don't have to be present. So it could right. be at school, school exchanges, um, any way that you can be no contact or very or neutral limited. like a neutral place that there are people and where you're not doing pickups and drop-offs at the house right um or you have a third party present or um you can have situations set up where your your communication is limited to you know i write agreements all the time where if one person feels unsafe you know we can make sure uh, communication will only go through email or, mm -hmm. or will only go through a parenting app or um, some way that you're you're not opening the door nearly as wide for abuse to take place. Or maybe even that the conversations between us are only about the kids. Yep. Some of those kinds of things. There's there's lots of little tidbits along the way, just, just making sure that it's about the kids. And one thing I always will tell uh, parties that I'm mediating with is just because it's in the agreement doesn't mean that the other person's going to follow it. True. And although, you know, I can do the best I can or any other mediator or attorney can do the best they can to create an agreement that is enforceable, meaning, you know, it's measurable things that people can say you are objectively or are not doing this. Um, it still is something that, um, they could break all those things and you still have to, you know, take them back to court or, you know, mm -hmm. do, do whatever you need to do to enforce it. Um, so, you know, that's a reality check for a lot of people who are in the middle of divorcing or coming up with these agreements is that there aren't any guarantees, um, which sometimes will create this fear reaction where, well, I'm just going to take the kids as much as I can mm -hmm. then. Um, and then, you know, talking about the safety of the children, the next piece, you know, um, I know that that is really difficult when you see the safety of your children as, well, they just need to be with me 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. And legally, sometimes that's an option. If you're dealing with like a drug abuser, you're dealing with someone who has criminal offenses or you have some leg to stand on, mm -hmm. then you might get you know more custody 
but in a lot of cases you don't in a lot mm -hmm. of cases um you know parents have equal rights to have time with their children and so finding finding the the positives in that is a challenge um, but i think that it is really important it's easy so easy to get lost in this you know they're a narcissist they're an abuser they're a bad mm -hmm. person and therefore you know they um, it colors everything that we say about that other parent. It also uh, creates this mis if we're always holding the other parent back, it creates this um, illusion that there's something about them that that they need to I let me see think of what I want to say something about them that they've got to know and re in reality, the, that other parent is a part of them and it, it is a part of their um, their inheritance as a child and it and it's only one small piece of that other person and just because we have difficulty in our relationship doesn't mean that it's going to be the same in that relationship right. and and the kids get to see you know the good things and because there's good in good in all of us and and really honorable things in each of us mm -hmm. that that they get to cherish about themselves because that is part of their history and dna and um holding them back and you know 100 percent of the time doesn't allow the kids to formulate their own opinions about about the other person and they're only seeing one side of the story which is Anyway, that's kind of where I wanted to go with that a little bit. Well, I want to talk about like neutralizing, um, neutralizing the uh, the feelings towards the abuser or the demonization right. of the abuser. So, uh, what I see collectively even today, like I see this mirrored a lot, is um, we we are quick to label whatever that abuser is, you know, the narcissist, the you know, they're a terrible person, and then we a are are perpetuating that cycle. We are actually solidifying that identity for them, mm -hmm. um, and creating a self fulfilling prophecy. That's one. They one can never break out of it. Piece, yeah. yeah. Um, and the other piece is that I see over and over repeated in history is that when we categorize um, that side or that person as bad or wrong, we actually become the very behavior that we hate. So we become the abuser in that situation. Right. Right. So we actually, um, when we dehumanize them, because that's really what we're doing, is when we make someone bad and wrong and. Um, and, and we hate them, essentially, we dehumanize them. And mm -hmm. then we justify their mistreatment. This happens over and over and over, and it's like a broken record we really need to, to put a stop to. But when we're capable of um, not giving attention and energy to the behaviors that we're seeing that are out of our control, and I am sure. not at all advocating that we don't step in if there is actual abuse happening towards children but i'm talking about behavior versus person i'm talking about you know i see this behavior happening that needs legal intervention versus this person is just a terrible rotten person that should never have my children they're two very very different um motives two very different beliefs two different agendas so um 
in the in the one case where you're saying this is just a bad person you know if we can neutralize that and not give attention and energy to mm -hmm. this person being a bad person your children will already see based on your behavior if you're setting healthy boundaries if you are communicating in very concise and simple ways mm -hmm. that are objective and not loaded with emotion they will see that they will um, they will actually have a really powerful um, experience seeing your behavior, seeing your um, your reaction that is really kind of a non-reaction. <laughs> exactly. Um, and they'll pick up on that modeling. They will start to pick up on that behavior, and they will they will respect and admire you for that. If they can't today, it will eventually. Um, they'll eventually be able to see that in a different light. And I, I promise you, I'm on the other side of that. And they and and oftentimes they don't see it right away. Yep. Oftentimes they feel um it gets in that us and them if if you're not careful. So I never that's what my number one rule. I never say anything derogatory or negative about another person in that situation. I'm not perfect, just so you know that, but for the most part, I leave them out of it. It, it does keep that emotional charge out of things and it just becomes more like a transaction, almost business-like. This is, this is how we co-parent. This is, this is our rules and boundaries around this. And then you don't get involved in those um, clashes. Doesn't mean you don't have to have those tough conversations because that's, that's part of, of parenting anyway but you you neutralize it and I I really like when I hold that other person in a high esteem then my kids can see the good parts yeah and and my kids can see um, like it they have nothing to do with it right they have no mm -hmm. they, they their innocence can stay intact and they can still love and cherish all the parts about both of us mm -hmm. and it is something they can physically see and feel how i'm honoring that other person in this relationship and and that models really good behavior for them and it changes the cycle that cycle of abuse doesn't keep mm -hmm. showing up yeah and Oh. It, and it doesn't demonize them. There's, I'm, not sure um, I'm not sure either. Something fell. <laughs> um, there's, there's a huge level of mastery that we're called to when we have, mm. um, when we have chosen into these relationships with abusers, um, and then gotten out of them, um, and and then we have to continue communicating with them. There is a, there's a, that's a big ask. Mm -hmm. That's a really big, it's a really big ask. ask. And um, so learning how to deal with really inflammatory, because often abusers are doing what? They're like, mm -hmm. you know, poking at you, they trying, know all the trying to get the reaction to the, where you're finally like, stop. Um, and, and you react negatively. And so mm -hmm. learning how to, you know, when we're not in a relationship, we have the ability to protect ourselves in a much different way. So generally, you know, okay, I'm in my own home, so I have a retreat, right? Whereas in the past, there was no retreat. There was mm -hmm. no way to escape. You were stuck in that house with them. Um, but, you know, now the situation may be a little bit different where we have the ability to say, no, you may not come on my property. No, you may not contact me by phone. You're blocked. 
um, you may not say these certain things, otherwise these consequences will happen. So the boundaries... There's, and follow through with those. <laughs> but there's much more ability to have your own protection that we didn't have before, right? right? Um, so keeping those things really clean is imperative to not opening the door for abuse. And your children will see that and your children will pick up on okay, this is how to have healthy boundaries, mm -hmm. and they will eventually learn how to set those boundaries on their own as well. Um, again, every situation is very different. Every person, every person with abusive patterns is very different. So, you know, I am not saying <clears throat> that in some cases you shouldn't intervene because sometimes abusers do direct their abusiveness towards, towards the children, a, ch yeah. a child. And of course, of course, I'm not advocating for... Uh, not stepping in and intervening in that um, position. However, um, I do think that um, we get to we get to model these clean boundaries, and we get to also learn and master how to be very concise. So I want to give a few details because okay. I think that's really helpful. So um, let's see if I'm. I want to pick something that's a, a generally inflammatory thing. I want to change the time I pick up the kids, right? And maybe we already have a set agreement and I'm going to take the abusive side here. Okay. And so I just want to, you know, change the situation. I just want to change the pickup even though I know, I know you've got a class or something or you've got work to be at at 6 o'clock and I'm going to say, well, I need to pick up the kids at 6.15. And that's going to totally change your plans, right? So what is your response to me then? No. <laughs> right. So, but what is, what's the, um, the temptation to respond? The temptation is to say what? It's to blow up and to say, you no, know, you, you know, I have this thing and you're just trying and, and accusing and blaming and doing all kinds of exploding on them. Right. Which a concise, um, Response would be what? No. No. The agreed on time is the five o'clock. Yeah, whatever. five o'clock or whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah. And um, and no is a perfectly good answer. I yep. think that's sometimes we think we have to give an explanation. No, we agreed on. Yep. Mm -hmm. And um, and if you can't pick up the kids, then you know you forfeit your visit or whatever or you I'll know, make arrangements. <laughs> This is where hopefully if you had a good mediator or a good uh, attorney, you hopefully will have something to... <laughs> In writing, because that's yeah. really helpful. Yep. Um, but, yeah, we don't have to give all of the, you know, you're such an asshole because you know I need to be at work. And, you know, that's where a lot of us go, right? Well, it perpetuates that aggression and it, and it, it feeds into more abuse because we've emotionally, now we have been the ones that have emotionally right. thrown a charge into it. Yeah. And uh, let's say another one. Okay. So our, our agreement is that we're only uh, talking about the kids, right? Mm -hmm. But let's say I go, um, well, I see, I see your child support uh, went down. You must have been demoted or you can't even keep a job for a whole year. I usually just walk away at that point. Right. But what is the temptation? <laughs> the temptation is to engage, right? The, the, because they know our buttons. <laughs> they know the buttons to push. And, 
Yeah, just and de defaming character is really totally that one's a tough one. I see you've put on a couple of pounds. You mm -hmm. must, you know, or oh, I see you, you're in school and you're never gonna finish. It's all of those things that yeah. you will come up against, right? This mm -hmm. is the old patterns, and what has the pattern been in the past? Is what we've taught them. We will do what we will engage with that, and we'll keep on <laughs> right fighting with them right yeah. and that actually sets up a stage with the kids that we're showing them that we are going to get pulled into that and they're learning how to get pulled into all of these behaviors and things so those sorts of things i learned a where i can i close up all of the the channels Loopholes. of communication <laughs> where abuse is seeping in no it's not okay to talk to me like that uh, you're blocked. Mm -hmm. um, you are only allowed to communicate with me in this particular way. Maybe it's having um, a third party on our email mm -hmm. that reviews everything that's seen. Maybe it's only communicating through an attorney. Maybe it's only communicating through a trusted friend. Um, but I can set parameters where that is, you're not allowed to access me in that way. Um, or no response. You know, there are plenty of things that like, that doesn't have to do with the kids. I'm just not responding. Yeah. So um, learning how to be really simple and concise is one of the most powerful things I think I've ever learned in learning how to deal with an abuser. Um, also in Al-Anon, I can remember a list of, of uh, neutral responses that were mm -hmm. really helpful. Uh, like, okay, hmm, that's interesting. Wow. Uh, you might be right. Uh, just lots of mm -hmm. things that were just, uh, I'm not picking up the rope. I'm not taking the bait. Mm -hmm. um, and that's hugely helpful in someone who is trying to provoke. And I would say, I want to take it a step further because these are also responses to someone that you could be emotionally charged by in other relationships, in office relationships, or the, the one family member that tends to trigger you. We all have, you know, one or two in our family that know that button to push. It's being neutral, and and even if you do care, you don't show that. It, mm -hmm. It's but you have to really know yourself. I would I would take some time to really get to know yourself, really get to know what charges you. And, and maybe it's a journal exercise where you sit down and go, I know that these things are things that will um, provoke me and charge me. And here's like a, if this happens and a, then it's kind of being emotionally prepared. I call it scripts, mm -hmm. sitting down and writing the scripts that maybe normally come up between you two. Yeah. So that, and in each relationship is going to be different. Like the time might trigger one person and the name calling might trigger another person. What are some things that you get emotionally charged by and how do you re neutralize that? So education is huge. Yeah. Finding support system is huge. When you know that you might be vulnerable in a certain situation, maybe practice with someone and say, hey, could you practice this role play with me so that I know how to learn not to react. Normally this would, would charge me and I need you to push my buttons as much as you can because it's kind of fun because then you go, oh, now I know how to react and you might have to do it a few times because at first it feels like, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're just, you are pretending, but it, 
it also goes, oh, I forgot that that word really makes me or that situation really, I don't know. I just think being prepared as much as possible. Education is huge. Finding support. Knowing your triggers. Knowing your triggers. Um, and I, I'm a huge advocate of in every situation that you can, like you are not entitled to a relationship with me. Um, and That's if you're huge. abusive, then like I will limit as much contact as I can. I also understand in this particular conversation we're having, we're talking about co-parenting. So going completely no contact isn't an yeah, option. It's not. Um, in co-parenting, you have to keep a, a channel of communication open. And so, you know, that this discussion is more about that creativity of knowing what your triggers are, knowing what your general response um, is going to be, keeping it really simple and concise. Like those are the sorts of skills that we're talking about in these like have to have mm-hmm. communication situations. And holding that boundary, it's really difficult sometimes. There is a temptation and we are moody creatures. So, you know, one day it may not bother me and another day it might, but just knowing. Yeah. So our question we have here is what is your advice for dealing with the other parent talking badly about you, specifically lying about you when you have made a conscious effort not to talk to the kids about the other parent? I feel compelled to defend myself when I hear what they have been told. Totally. This happens a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to clarify there's two different situations. One is the other parent is talking about you to other people. Um, and then to the other parent is talking about you to the, the kids. And so both of those situations can certainly be the case. And I remember, um, one of the cases I had, this was happening a lot. Um, there was a lot of, um, defamation and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, talking badly about the other parent to friends and mutual contacts they had. And it was causing this big rift and drama. A, so I've had that happen to me before. More than um, once, yeah. Yeah. Too. So, again, I see this behavior as more of that, like, trying to get a reaction mm-hmm. um, and really just provoking because they know it works. Mm-hmm. They know you will get up in arms and you'll get defensive and you'll post this long thing on Facebook about how everything was wrong that was said about you. Um, my personal belief in that situation is I, I experienced this and I had a huge wave of Facebook friends and people that left my life, um, because they chose to believe whatever the rumors were. And so my personal belief is just letting, letting it be. And the people who really, uh, know and love me will love me enough to come clarify, Um, or they will just trust in my character enough to dismiss it. So dealing with other people, that would be my, um, my response. Marie, do you have something to add to that? I I was going to say that there's really nothing we can do about the other side because that happens everywhere in real life. And exactly what you said is that, you know, the people who really know me know my character and, and if they have a question and they really honor and cherish our relationship, then they will come ask me. And it's a conversation. And as far as with the children, there's nothing I can do. And and I've had that happen where the other party was talking bad about me. And it's just sitting down and talking with the children and, you know, clarifying with them. You, you don't really have to de- defend yourself. And, and then, and even talking, you know, in a way that says, you know, the other party is hurt right now. 
And, and that's the truth of it. The reason that they're doing some of that is they still feel this hurt and this pain and they want to cause more pain. And you just throw a lot of love on it. Yeah, I think um, for me, if it, if it was children that they've been told something about me, um, my response in that situation would be to continually affirm to the children that it's safe to talk to me and to mm -hmm. ask me questions about, you know, because they often are conflicted and they often... And they feel they're part of it too, that for some reason we're split because of them. So constant mm -hmm. reassurance to them. Yeah, and to just say, you know, if you hear something bad about me, please come and talk to me about it. And then it is more about um, their curiosity and their... Um, they're approaching you instead of you, you know, defending yourself. Mm -hmm. um, they get to come to you and say, I'm so confused because daddy's saying this or mommy's mm -hmm. saying that. and Or the step parent is saying something. Right. Because yeah, right. that's happened before. Lots of times. Yeah. And so it's always a conversation away. And trusting too, again, that kids see character, kids see behavior far more than they see words. And it's so much more meaningful. So if they're watching you be loving and they're watching your behavior, it's going to show for itself. Um, it doesn't even need defense. It doesn't need an explanation. Um, and they will continue to see that as they get older. Mm-hmm. So, um, and sometimes you have to point that out, um, that you're having conversations. Recently, we had a situation with, um, our, our, uh, a misunderstanding with our grandkids. And we said, see, this is what adults do. Or it, it wasn't with our grandkids, but it was outside and, and the grandkids were a witness. And so we said, this is how you have a healthy conversation. It's uncomfortable for all of us, right? It's uncomfortable, but they got to witness how to have that healthy conversation. So point those things out when you are having a good conversation with someone that is uncomfortable and, and you can see everybody squirming. Even, you know, even the kids, they're squirming, but then they go, oh, instead of letting it fester and get ugly and, you know, yeah. nasty, because it only promotes that abuse further. And do remember that your, your uh, abusive ex-partner knows intuitively that the children can be used as pawns mm -hmm. to get that further provocation. So mm -hmm. if that's what they're going Especially for, if this isn't working. <laughs> yeah, so they're going to amp it up, right? They're going to keep trying to get to you in, in other ways, and the kids are a fantastic opportunity. So again, when, when somebody's doing this to you and you don't respond, that's really the best way to make it stop. It's the same with the kids. If you keep responding and you keep defending yourself, they're going to go, oh, that worked. Um, and they're going to keep doing it more. So um, wherever... That's where the questions are lying today. Okay, so. yeah. My kids are acting miserable towards me. My husband is gaslighting and boasting himself up that I don't even matter. Um, yeah, so... Again, I really do think that um, your kids expect your kids to be used as pawns in situations where you're dealing with an abuser. Um, they're not happy that they haven't gotten their way and they're not happy that they haven't um, gotten to you. And so your kids it's are It's truly a painful place to be. 
but you have to know yourself and and know that those things aren't true it's just a way to manipulate um, the situation and try to get a response so it's going back to the integrity of you and knowing your true actions in this matter and how you um, hold yourself and hold yourself and honor yourself in this situation is what's going to let the kids see you know what there's some incongruency here dad is saying this but look at how mom's reacting and and your actions will speak louder than words in that moment more so than anything that you you say is just throw lots of love on those it's hard it's super painful and um and it's not easy but on the other side your kids get to see that you didn't trash that other person um, because of the pain that you're feeling because all that is is perpetuating the cycle one hurt person's hurting another person and then I respond with hurt and they respond with hurt and then it just keeps that cycle going so for that cycle to stop I get to love on myself and that's where you might need a third party to 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 vent with and not your yeah. children get that support to say you know this is really painful i you know so maybe getting another person in there that you can chat with and, and your kids might take the bait sometimes and that's what's really might. hard is sometimes your kids they will don't know parrot the abuser they will parrot um what they're hearing and sometimes it's ugly and so just as a reminder you know your kids are not a source for your self-worth Mm -hmm. And, and so finding that other source, finding someone else who, you know, it's perfectly valid to need someone mm -hmm. that is a cheerleader, that is um, a sounding board, that is accountability. It's mm -hmm. really important to find those, those things outside um, of your kids. They're not your kids yeah. and your kids may, it may get ugly because your kids may take the bait sometimes and they may, um, they may buy into the lies for a while and like, um, the most powerful thing really is not to respond, not to react. Um, your character will show through. Yep. It shines through. Yeah. It's just not a, it, it's a long-term response. Yep. It's not a quick, easy fix. I don't get the opportunity to talk to my kids much. My husband is always with them when I try to communicate. That mm. is also really hard. Um, I don't know, Samantha, specifically what your situation is or if you're in the middle of... Um, uh, finding a custody agreement. Um, I think there's a lot of healing that gets to take place once you can find that safe place, that safe separation. And that's what we were talking about earlier is that when you're in the midst of that um, relationship, there isn't the ability to have that safe space. And so everything is, is very tainted by the dependency on um, you know, you're in the same house together and, and you're not able to have any freedom or space or independence. So um, I, I, I'm hoping that, Samantha, eventually you will get to a place where you are able to communicate with your kids separately because um, that is a really difficult place. And knowing, um, you know, if, if that is a really toxic partnership, then um, being able to accept reality that when you're in the midst of a relationship that is really at the mercy of that person, not to have expectations that it's going to be something different. Mm -hmm. um, sick people don't act well. They just don't act well. So they don't didn't go through court. Don't expect them to act well. We didn't go through the courts. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know. 
you might have an opportunity case. to bring it up now. Yeah, I don't know if your plan is to go to the courts or if that is still in the works. And province is a part. That's even harder. Yeah, it's a toxic relationship disguised as kindness. Um, and, and that is definitely an abusive tactic as well, is that a lot of the, the abusers that we've had, a lot of the relationships that we've had, um, they're not monsters. They they have their elements of kindness and they do present to the public well and they have, you know, careers and they're normal people on many levels and we're all in the process of letting go of toxic programming um, in many, many regards and, and some people are just, they haven't done much of that yet and um, so it's not that they're terrible people but um, the best that they can do is still really hurtful. Mm-hmm. So, um, Samantha, I'm not sure where you're at in uh, resolving that conflict. I do absolutely advocate for going through the legal system to, um, to advocate for your rights as a parent to have custody, shared custody with your children. And so, um, you know, again, I'm not sure the specifics of your, your situation, but if you haven't uh, gone through that process yet, then it's definitely something that um, some of us feel like we are, uh, we feel guilty for mm. fighting with the, yeah. the ex-partner and advocating for, um, our rightful entitlement of our children. And that's definitely nothing to feel guilty about. So if you're struggling with the idea of advocating for yourself in, um, uh, mm -hmm. in court and, and fighting to have your kids, like, it's, it's something that your kids desperately need. They desperately need both parents at, at any extent that it's possible. Mm -hmm. um, you're welcome. Yeah. Hi, Abby. I love that you're here. Um, such a supportive sister. I love mm -hmm. you so much. Um, okay. We are... I think... That was a tough topic. But we're still open to questions and concerns that... Yeah. I know we're at the time i just want to make sure that we cover questions it's not guilt it's i don't think fighting helps yeah samantha it's hard for me to um tackle your questions because i i wish i knew more um i wish i knew more of your situation but um fighting sometimes you know unfortunately there are it's some necessary. situations that uh, the legal system doesn't back you up and i really really um am an advocate of having um, our legal system, um, what's the word I'm looking for, improved um, to where it's more fair for families to get through the system and having some checks and balances in place for um, usually women, not always women, but usually women who um, are at a disadvantage because they're dealing with someone who's not a fair fighter, they're not mm -hmm. a fair player. Um, May have more resources too. Mm -hmm. so. Just, yeah, there's a lot of different dynamics there, but I hope that we keep improving the court system. Um, and, and sometimes fighting doesn't help if you've already gone through that route and you've lost or whatever the situation is. But, um, but most of the time I would say that the fighting is really inconvenient and really soul sucking and really hard, but it is worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it is worth it. And they it. do let you bring it back up into court because situations change and they evolve mm -hmm. and it requires, 
new parameters and new rules mm -hmm. and dynamics. So in, in your case, it might be advantageous for you to bring it back up. Yep. And, you know, something I see all the time is custody modification, right? They already went through the process and they're back saying, this doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Something changed. So um, I do like that nothing is really set in stone. It's, mm -hmm. it's very movable and um, something that you can update. So I would certainly encourage you to, uh, to go back and ask for um, what it is that you would like and some equal time with your kids. But um, I think that is all we've got time for today. And this definitely, we just scratched the surface of a really, really intense, uh, big topic. So mm -hmm. I'm sure that we will address this again. Let me pull up the next topic. Um, the dilemma of leaving a toxic relationship. So we're going to talk about, I, we touched on um, a couple of weeks ago, we touched specifically on leaving a toxic relationship with children and more of the dynamics about children. This time we will talk more about the financial barriers mm. to leaving and the, the overall um, fear and, and finances that really get in the way of leaving, even though you may want to leave. So that is what's coming up next week. Uh, you can find any of our past episodes in our Facebook group, Braveheart Conversations. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Um, so check us out there and definitely check back in next week. Uh, you can email us any questions or if you have a suggestion, a topic suggestion you'd love or a, a story to share, feel free to do that. Uh, my email is defytheaverage at gmail.com. Marie at mariesgold.com. So yeah. definitely, definitely reach out if you've got any thoughts to share. And with that, we love you all and we hope you have an amazing week. Be brave. Bye-bye, everybody.